Lord, you are the way maker, Lord. And maybe we need you to help us. Well, we need you to make a way for us, maybe, Lord, in our relationships. Lord, would you be with Pastor as he takes us to your word this morning in the book of 2 John? Speak to us, Lord. Would you clear our minds? Holy Spirit, give us focus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Good morning. Welcome. You can be seated. So glad you're here. So glad those of you that are joining us online are joining us online. Trust that you'll be blessed that you are and did. Uh, Before we get started, though, I want to share an email that I received from Pastor Steve Santos of Calvary Chapel Westside there in Lahaina uh, regarding our ongoing Maui mission support. Um, He writes, so much has happened. (laughs) Fire, loss, confusion, grief, greed, seeing the best and the worst of people, some hoarding for fear of when things are gone, people's fear of where they and their families will live, not wanting to be relocated to other islands or even to the other side of Maui. Lahaina is still their home. And it's still all happening, all but the fire, all while the world has moved on. And I totally get it now with Israel. Like I had said when we were together, JD, I'm afraid to ask what's next. And then the horrific news out of Gaza. Come Lord Jesus. While the world has moved on, Lahaina is still burned. And the hearts of the people here are still filled with all that was left on that morning after deep depression, fear of what do we do. And again, Jesus is the only answer. We need to have answers from God's Word. So please don't stop praying for Lahaina, or for me, for God's direction for Calvary Chapel Westside, and praying for every true believer on the west side of Maui that woke up that morning inducted into the full mission field. Someone shared how he wakes up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep thinking on how, what to do next with Lahaina. This is an elected elected official he's talking about. And not just thinking about his job in the physical town, thousands of homes and businesses, by the way, not hundreds. You're hearing hundreds, it's not hundreds, it's thousands. Thousands of families, people's lives from how and when, reopening the West Side, how to meet the needs of the people with housing here, keeping their properties, clearing their properties. By the way, the rental properties. He was sharing with me how before you could rent something, yeah, maybe in that 2000, 2500 range. Now it's $3,800. And that's if you can find something. So the properties, the homes, places to live, jobs, (laughs) income for those that their workplaces were burned. They don't even have a workplace to go to. And then what about the children? What, what, What do you do with school? The safety of the air quality, toxins or no toxins, etc., etc., etc. I don't believe he's a believer, speaking of this individual, but I believe that he genuinely cares. I didn't feel like he had an agenda at all. This is when he met with him. He also met with the mayor, which he's going to refer to here in a moment. One of his key appointees is a believer, that I do know. He had prayed over the mayor way back when he was first appointed as a judge that he would have the wisdom of Solomon and the heart of Job. I told him that it seems that prayer was maybe prophetic. That said, praying now more than ever for our mayor is so important, and hoping to do that monthly, which he sounded very open to. 
I was thinking about it, how that right now we have the mayor's ear and he can hear the Lord's heart for Lahaina if God is speaking through us. Then do direct energy weapons. I believe, but are there people, men and women in our world that are that evil? You bet. But I need to have everything confirmed by the Spirit and the Word, then I'll shout it, even pound. Now I got to share with you what I shared with First Service. Um, there's a backstory to this. He shared with me about how that for the first time, he's been pastoring this uh, church in Lahaina, Calvary Chapel Westside for many, many years. He said, last week I for the very first time pounded on the pulpit. I said, ha. Oh. I said, Steve, I do that every week. So that's why he said that. So I just told him, I said, keep pounding then, because, you know, praise the Lord. Um, you know, after talking with Steve at length, we uh, talk often, we pray together often about all of this. And one of the things that's coming out of this is that God, as only He can, is providing a supernatural peace and a supernatural strength. It's the peace of God from the God of peace. And it's so prevalent, so pronounced. And uh, God is moving in ways that just He could, I believe, and have shared He's moving in ways and doing things that He could not have otherwise done had it not been for this. Again, as only God can. Only God can take bad and make good. And He's doing it. So uh, real quick, just we're currently working through Calvary Chapel West Side, with whom we've come alongside on gifting cars to people. Uh, we're working on now a car for a single mom, a van to a family with an autistic child, and another truck for another brother for work. All of these people lost all of their cars and trucks. Uh, just last week, I think it was, we were able to gift a vehicle to a family of four who desperately needed one. And we were able to, alongside with Calvary Chapel Westside, do that because they had lost theirs as well. Lastly, in addition to our Maui mission support, which please know is ongoing, and the best way that you can help and support is to pray, pray, pray. Please pray. Um, in addition to Maui though, I've been in contact with someone regarding a ministry in Israel that provides supplies and basic needs like in Maui to both Jews and Arabs in Israel. So I did talk about this during today's uh, but God testimony at the conclusion of the update. This is another thing that came out of all of this. I would have never been able to make contact with this individual had it not been for this. And we'll see where God's going to go with this. But please, again, pray, pray, pray. We covet your prayers and thank you. All right, we're going to start Second John today uh, because we finished First John. So Second John comes after First John. And just the first three verses will be our text. I'll ask you to stand. You can follow along as I read. If you're able, if not, that's fine. Where you're seated is just fine. Just follow along. Beginning in verse 1, the Apostle John, very interesting, <laughs> starts off, the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us 
in truth and love. <laughs> Let's pray, if you would please join with me. Oh Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, thank you so, so much. Thank you for this portion here in your word. This is for us, even though it's some 2,000 years later after you inspired John to write it by the Holy Spirit. But this is for us today. And we see it as such. And as such, we would ask, as we always do, that you, by the Holy Spirit, would open up the eyes of our understanding to see what it is that you want to show us, to speak what it is that you would have us to hear. Minister to us, Lord. I know there are many that are here today or watching online that are really hurting, really struggling. And in these last days, one of the biggest struggles is within our relationships, our family relationships, our marriage relationships. And so, Lord, I'm so thankful to you that you speak to the very practical issues of our lives. And such is the case with the text that we have before us today. So would you open up our eyes to it? Open up our hearts to receive it. Don't let anything cause us to be distracted so that our minds wander as they're so often prone to. I know the enemy doesn't want us to hear this. So please protect our minds from those thoughts that would intrude and distract and cause us to miss what it is that you have for us today. So Lord, thank you. We love you so much. Thank you for your word. Speak now, Lord, please. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So what I want to do is talk with you today about resolving relational problems. And I want to do so vis-a-vis -vis the wisdom of the Word of God through John the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, as we'll see in just the beginning of this short letter, one likened it as more like, not, not a letter, but a postcard. It's very short, if you didn't notice. It's only, don't look now, but it's like 13 verses, more like a postcard. But it is a letter, and it was written by John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what's going to happen today is John is going to rise from the pages of our Bibles, to show us very specifically how, the how of the Holy Spirit to do the what of the Holy Word. Because see, God never tells us to do anything without also packaging it with the how in order that we might be found faithful doing it. Again, I know this isn't proper sentence structure, but that's your lot in life with me as your pastor, if I'm privileged to be. <laughs> but you can't not. He can't not. Because, and I know I talk about this often, I hope you don't tire of me saying it, but He cannot be party to our disobedience. God is always going to create an environment that is conducive to us being obedient to His will, to His Word, to His commands. So, in other words, God's never going to say, this is what you need to do. I'll check back with you. Here, here's what you need to do. Hope it works out well for you. Here's what you need to do. Bye. No, here's what you need to do. Now, here's the how of the Holy Spirit, so you can. So what is it that we need the how for? Well, we need the how when it comes to resolving relational problems. And actually, it's even more specific than that. It's not only resolving relational problems, it starts with specifically how to address relational problems. Then, in concert with that, how we can specifically and practically, very important, practically, this is practical, not only address relational problems, but resolve relational problems. See, apparently at this time when John was inspired to write this postcard slash letter, <laughs> um, there were some problems that he needed to address. And he wanted to 
resolve those problems practically, biblically, rightly. And so that's basically what this short letter is going to be about. And right out of the chute, we have three hows. Three hows. I know pastors always have three-point sermons. Believe you me, the Lord knows. I tried to get four out of it, but I only got three. If you can find four, praise the Lord. Then it's four. But I got three. And the first one is in the first part of verse one. <laughs> oh, see, you already saw it on the screen. Learn from your elders. You'll forgive me for starting off with just the first two words of verse one, but I have to. And here's why. We do to our own peril dismiss and marginalize the elderly who are a wealth of godly wisdom. Oh, see? All right. Now you younger people are going, wow, really? Here we go again. As children, right? Yeah, that's right. As kids, you know, listen to your elders. I'm your elder. <laughs> okay, put a little bit more crack into the voice. I'm your elder. And that's the very reason they don't listen to you. What do you know? You're so old fashioned. There's a disconnect. Uh, they used to have a term for it. I hate it, but you know it. A generation gap. Come here, boy, I'll show you a generation gap. Uh, just by way of a, an example, personally in my own life, my parents died before our children were born. And oh, how I wish they were still alive so that I could learn from them especially my mom, who I know would have told me, I told you so. You just wait till you have children of your own. And she was, I couldn't call her. I might hear about it, I don't know, in glory, but I couldn't call her and say, Mom, you were right. I can't believe it. What do I do? You deserve this. What you put me through. Anyway, I digress, but Oh, the, the, the wisdom, the, the help, the things that I could have learned from my mother and my father and those older than me that have, by the way, been around the block a few more times than you and I have. They've learned a few things or two. That's not how it goes, but they've learned a thing or two. And they could probably teach us a thing or two. But are we going to be teachable by them? Thank you. That's what I said. Um, why does John start this letter off this way? Because it's believed he was in his 90s. Hey, when you're in your 90s, you've earned the right to say, the elder. You listen to me, boy. I, I'm older than you. I'm in my 90s. But see, we look at someone in their 90s and we're like, no, oh, I didn't have to say anything else beyond that. You already know what I was going to say. Just, you know, you're over the hill. You're, you know, we marginalize the elders and we do so to our own peril. Oh, would to God that we would be taught by, learn from the wealth of experience from our elders, who, by the way, are at the ready to share it with us. But we rob ourselves of that. You know, the Proverbs are replete with the wisdom of there being a safety in the multitude of counselors. Plans fail for too few, and they succeed with the multitude of. 
Psalm 1, the, you, show, you want, show me somebody that is sitting at the seat of godly counsel. And I'll show you somebody that is living a blessed life. I didn't say best life. Blessed life. Exceedingly blessed. Why? Because they're number one, teachable. And number two, they are teachable by those older than they are. So I guess what I'm trying to say is John has earned every right to speak by the Holy Spirit into our lives as our elder. Now why is this so important? Because the wisdom of the aged, and again this is in the Proverbs as well, and it's really throughout Scripture, is such that we need their guidance. We need them to teach us just practical daily things. Think about how many things were passed on down through the generations by grandma and grandpa and great grandma and great grandpa. They, they, they taught their kids who taught their kids who taught their kids like the Israelites were to teach their children who were to teach their children who were to teach their children. Oh, pastor, that's Old Testament. You know, the thing about the Old Testament, it's old. Okay. Well, smarty pants, let's talk about the New Testament then. Titus chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Am I snarky today? I am a little bit, yeah. It's in Jesus' name, I want you to know. Paul writing to Titus, verse 1, chapter 2, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men, the older men? You mean the ones in the elderly section? Those guys? Yeah, those guys. Be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, uh-oh, likewise. <laughs> you know what, this is, I'm just going to read it. So I'm not going to look at anybody when I do, women. Uh, the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, hmm. not slanders, hmm not given too much wine, teachers of good things that they may listen, admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands. Can I just read that again? <laughs> I am. Obedient to their own husbands. Woman, <laughs> that the Word of God, listen to this, may not be blasphemed. You Wait, you mean to tell me that the older men, the older women are to teach the younger men and the younger women, because if they don't, then there's a potential for blaspheming the Word of God. Yes. Oh, and how about this list? Women? <laughs> Woman? You, you know, I'm just saying it's a longer list than for the men. One, two, three, four. No, it is. You can check me on it if you want. Be a Berean, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Whoa. Yeah, like way more. Woman? Okay, I'm in all seriousness. These young moms and wives, they need you. They, they, they need you. They are paying a heavy price by your silence. Now, that's the older women. How about you younger women? What is your problem? What is the matter with you? I'm really snarky today. Here you are, you, you've got these kids that you prayed for, by the way. And then after you have these kids, you're going, why did I pray for kids? 
What was I thinking? This, this, is, this is really hard. Parenting is not for wimps. I've often said, and it's the truth, it's not hyperbole. I've started businesses and owned businesses and operated businesses. I've planted churches. I've pastored churches and combined, they don't come close to how difficult parenting is. Maybe it's just me. But together, combined, pastoring a church and owning and operating a business doesn't even come close to how hard it is to be a parent. Now, I'm talking about actually being a parent, not a, what they call a baby mommy or a baby daddy. It's baby daddy, I think. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have gone there. But, you know, no, I'm talking about being a parent, being a father, being a mother to your children. It's hard work. And you have all of this at your disposal, and you don't avail yourself of it. Um, you, you, you probably need to sleep, because ever since your baby was born, you haven't slept. It's been like four months. You probably need to get some sleep. How do you put this thing to sleep and stay asleep? You know that saying, how'd you sleep? I slept like a baby. Wow, you were up screaming all night? I had an online member in a But God testimony say, I've changed it to, uh, I slept like a husband, because we know that's what husbands do. Yeah, that, that's good. That's way better than a baby. Anyway, I digress. Back to the sermon already in progress. These older women are available for you, younger mom, younger wife. They, they can help you. Let them. They can teach you. Let them. And by the way, I'm looking at you. You need all the help you can get. So why are you marginalizing and dismissing these, this older woman who, by the way, probably has notes that you should probably get your hands on. Because she's been where you're at, and she lived to tell about it, <laughs> and to tell you about it, and is at the ready to do so if you are willing. Well, here's what we did. I learned this from an older mom. <laughs> I'm a man, but I'm still a man. But I learned this from an older woman. Uh, she said the, the newborn uh, needs to have a simulation of what it was like in the womb. So I went out and bought one of these over-the-shoulder baby holders. We called it a womb with a view. <laughs> and it worked. It wasn't really, I'm like, man, why didn't I ask somebody sooner? The, the, the motion, the, the head right by the heartbeat. Oh. They heard that for nine months. And plus, it frees up your hands to send people emails asking them, what do I do with this kid? You will get to number two, just a moment. So here's the elder John saying, please let me help you resolve the problems you're having in your relationships. Listen to your elders. Hey, they've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt to prove it. Now, do you want to listen to them? Hey, how about this? Learn from their mistakes. See, I would much rather learn by proxy from your sin. <laughs> I shouldn't have looked at anybody when I said that. I'll be an equal opportunity offender. I would much rather learn by proxy vicariously through the consequences of your sin than to have to suffer the consequences from my own sin. I would just l rather learn from you and go, oh, <laughs> I, I never want to do that. Look, look what's happening to them. And by the way, that's called a deterrent. A deterrent. When you see someone suffering needlessly, the consequences of their sin, their folly, and you're looking at it going, wow, I'm not going to repeat that folly, because I don't want to have to go through what they're going through. 
And you can do that with the elders. Learn from my mistakes. Listen, here's what you don't want to do. Trust me, I did it. I have the scars to prove it. You don't want to do this. They can save you a lot of heartache, a lot of pain. Can we talk about the marriage relationship? Oh, everybody's like, do we have to? Yes. Um, let's talk to husbands first. Does that make you feel better, wives? Because I kind of beat up on you a little bit there. You know, that the, uh, the only place in the Bible where there's a connection to prayers being hindered and the marriage relationship is found in 1 Peter, where Peter by the Holy Spirit writes that husbands, if you don't dwell with your wives in an understanding way, it will hinder your prayers. They're joint heirs. They might be the weaker vessel, not inferior, weaker physiologically, only physiologically. They're different. They're made different than us, more emotional than us, guys. That uh, yeah, sorry. Just give me a moment. I they think differently, guys. That's why when you try to ask them why they don't feel a peace about it. You don't feel a peace about this is a no-brainer. And then he says, I don't know what it is, honey, but I just don't feel a peace about it. So what do we do being the godly husbands? I'm speaking not about myself because I have a perfect marriage, remember? So you guys, right? So what do you do? You're like, honey, can you just explain to me logically why it is that you don't feel a peace about it? And they can't because God didn't make them to. They have a discernment. It's called, the world calls it women's intuition. They're your helpmeet. That's there to help you, not work against you. It's a help me. Oh, how many times if I would have just only listened to my wife when he didn't feel a piece about it. Because I had it logically laid out. I mean, I had bullet points, double space, aerial narrow font, 12, printed out, margins justified. Boom, 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 boom. What is it that you don't feel a piece about? I just, I don't feel a beat about it. <laughs> Listen to them. So how many times have I, this is confession time, just so that, I mean, so many times I went against that thinking, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, this is so clear. I mean, duh. And so I went forward and did it and lost a lot of money because of it. And my wife's gracious, for the most part. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the phrase, told you so. Oh, that's why you didn't feel the peace about it. God was putting a check in you to stop me from doing this, because it might have looked outwardly like a no-brainer. But I should have listened to you and because you can be and could have been a big help to me. The same thing is true with our elders. I mean, think about it. What, what, let me ask a question, then we'll move on. What, what is it in your life right now that you have going on that's causing a lot of heartache in some relationship, whether it's the marriage relationship or just some interpersonal relationship. Maybe it's a workplace relationship. What is it right now that's really a struggle for you and been very hard for you? What is it that you could go to somebody and say safely, be, be discerning and be prudent, by the way, God will direct you, God will give you discernment, you know, who it is, but they have to be godly, godly men, godly women. And what's holding you back? And what is it that you could take to them and say, hey, I need you to teach me, admonish me, exhort me, if need be, rebuke me. Because at this, with this trajectory, this is unsustainable. 
and I need help. And I need someone to come alongside that is my elder that will speak into my life the truth in love from God's Word and from your experience. In fact, that actually ties into number two, which is in the second part of verse one and verse two. And this is so important. Balance truth with love. Let me preface this this way. Um, You can be speaking truth, but if there's no love, it's a clanging symbol, Paul said to the Corinthians. Oh, I mean, you're, you're right, and you know it, and you're going to make sure they know it too. I'm going to speak the truth to you. But if there's no love, no goal. <laughs> and conversely, vice versa, you can, you can have all this love, but if there's no truth, Why don't you guys just come up and finish the the, uh, teaching? Am I preaching to the choir? I probably am, but I need to preach this to myself, because I tend to err on the side of truth. I'm all about the truth. Yeah, but where's the love? And then I don't want to look at anybody when I say this, because then you have the opposite end of the table where, you know, it's all, hey, we just love everybody. But there's no truth. That's not love. So when the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, look at the balance, the beautiful marriage between truth and love. And and by the way, we're going to see this in a moment. Uh, John is all about truth and love. I think three times in just the first three verses, at least two times, he says truth and love because of truth and love, love and truth, and then truth and love. In the first three verses, you get the impression that we're to be about the truth in love, with love. Speak the truth in love because of love. And isn't it true that I'm going to speak the truth to you because I love you? Because if I didn't love you, I wouldn't bother. The only reason I'm going to put the relationship in jeopardy and speak the truth that I know you're not going to want to hear is because I love you enough to tell you the truth that you don't want to hear. Because if I didn't love you that much, self-love will only tell you what you want to hear. And that's the Proverbs. The wounds of a friend are faithful and they can be trusted. Yeah, but that really hurt me. Yeah, but they they spoke the truth to you. Yeah, but it really wounded me. Yeah, but you can trust it. Why? Because that's a true friend that will speak the truth to you, even if they know, especially if they know it's going to hurt you. And then it goes on to say, on the opposite end of the table again, but an enemy will multiply kisses. You know what that means? They're just going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to flatter you and you're going to be like, yeah, your flesh loves it. Oh yeah, thank you. Tell me more. Like that conversation I talk about often, you know, I'm done talking about me. Why don't you talk about me? Just tell me what I want to hear, multiply kisses, flatter me. You know, don't don't you dare tell me anything that, you know, is going to be hard for me to hear. But you know what? Initially, when somebody speaks the truth to you, even if it wounds you, you might resent it. But eventually, I promise you, you'll thank them for it. And again, flip it around. Initially, when somebody's multiplying kisses, flattering you, telling you what you want to hear. Initially, you're very much going to appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But eventually, I promise you, you'll resent it. Why didn't you tell me the truth? Why, why didn't you tell me? Oh, I didn't want you to unfriend me on Facebook. I, I just wanted you to like me. Could you imagine you go into the doctor's office and the doctor wants you to like him? 
Don't go find another doctor if that's the case. But so he, he diagnoses after the biopsy that you've got cancer. But he knows that if he tells you the truth that you have cancer, it's going to hurt you. So he doesn't tell you. He said, yeah, it's all good. The biopsy, yeah, it's fine. Find another doctor. <laughs> that doctor is not your friend. In fact, that doctor is your enemy. Why? Because they're not speaking the truth to you, even though they know it will wound you. They must not love you, let alone care about you. Because if they did, they would speak truth to you. Think about the parenting relationship. I mean, <laughs> it, it didn't work that well for me. Maybe your parenting, it worked better for you. But I would try to communicate to our children when they were young that I wanted to speak into their lives and I wanted to speak the truth and I had to discipline them. And I knew, you know, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you like they believe that. And uh, it's hard and I, I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. Why? Because I love you. So I have to do this. I have to discipline you. Why do you have to discipline me? Because I love you. Can you love me less? Wait a minute, isn't that what the writer of Hebrews tells us? Don't despise the chastening of the Lord because He disciplines those whom He loves. The inference is, if He doesn't love you, that's when you really should worry. Because if He doesn't discipline you, it means, because He only disciplines those whom He loves. Those who are His children, that's how you know you're a child of God, because He's spanking you. That's how you know. You see somebody in the store, they're spanking their kids. Oh, now they get reported and recorded. <laughs> and anyway, it's posted anyway. Uh, but you, 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 what, what's your conclusion? It's obvious. That must be the parent, because somebody's not going to spank somebody else's kid. <laughs> Did that work? I, that's how you know. That must be his or her child, because they're disciplining him. It must be, that's the parent. That's how you know that child belongs to them. The same thing is true with us. That's how people look at us and go, I belong. I wish it weren't like that. I wish it, I could get a plaque. Child of God. That, that's how you know I'm a child of God, a plaque. No, how do you know? The discipline. What, what does that discipline look like? Well, it's the truth in love because of love. God loves me so much that He's going to speak the hard truth to me, discipline me, exhort me, rebuke me. I think about David in Psalm 119, two times, just within a span of a few verses, says basically this. First, it was good that God afflicted me. It was good. Really? Yeah, because um, if he didn't, I would have went astray. Uh, then a few verses later, he says, uh, it was good that God afflicted me because now I keep his word. I needed God to afflict me. I needed God to speak into my life. I needed God to discipline me. I needed God because he loves me. See, if God didn't love me, just like us as parents, we wouldn't bother. Yeah, go ahead. I don't care. If I love you, I'm going to say, no, no. But I have to balance the truth with love. It has to come packaged together. It's a package deal. Because if it's all truth, you're going to blow them out of the water. I mean, you'll win the, the argument, but lose the battle or win the, how's that? It's been a long week. I'm not even going to try again. You might win the argument, but you're going to lose the relationship. If it's all truth and no love. How many times I, oh, you'll forgive another personal illustration, but uh, where I was wrong, I know, very rare, but I was wrong. 
and the way I handled the situation with my daughter. She was younger at the time. So I went in and sat down with her, and I asked her to forgive me. Well, I was right, but I was wrong. What do you mean? I did the right thing in truth, but in the wrong way with no love. I did more damage because of that. And so I had to ask for her forgiveness. Say, listen, I could have handled that better. I'm still right, but (laughs) I could have handled that better. I could have done that in a more loving way. I could have spoken the truth and disciplined you in love and not anger. Yeah, I'm getting so convicted. Uh, Romans 12, this is even worse. Can I begin reading in verse 9? Follow along, just listen. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, of course. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He's echoing the words of the Savior. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And then he writes this, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We'll come back to that. Hang on to that. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. When I was a new believer, I thought, yeah, cool, I'm going to burn him. That's a good thing. You're giving him fire so that he can stay warm and cook. That's a good thing. Nice try. I tried it. Same thing with the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. No, rain's a good thing. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. I've got crops in this agricultural society in which I live. I need rain. And God sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why, Why am I bringing this up? Because there does come a point where you've done everything you possibly can, as far as it depends on you, in as much as you're able. You tried in truth and love, balanced. You tried to restore that damaged relationship, resolve the conflict in that relationship. But everything you've done, all the effort you've made, in as much as it depends upon you, there's still not any reconciliation. So as long as before the Lord, you know that you've done everything that you can. It takes two to tango. If they're unwilling, I mean, you've been loving, you've been truthful, but you've been loving in as much as it depends upon you. You've tried to make peace. You tried to restore the relationship, but they're unwilling. There's nothing you can do. Now, interesting that Paul would follow it up with, do not take revenge, because now afterwards, when you've done everything you can, and they're still unwilling to reconcile and resolve the relational problems, well, then you're like, okay, well, you're going to be like that? 
And so what happens? Oh, come on, don't look at me like that. In, in our flesh there dwells no good thing. Dormant within us are the metal shavings of vengeance, just waiting for the magnetic pull to bring them out. You mean I ask for forgiveness, I'm trying to right the wrong, I've taxed the moon and the stars, and you still don't want to make peace? I'll show you. Do not take revenge, my friends. Leave it to the Lord. The Lord knows how to do it. The Lord knows the heart. And, and by the way, pray for your enemy, Jesus said. Paul echoes it here, because you can't stay angry at somebody that has postured themselves as your enemy, if you're praying for them. You, you can't, but it won't last very long, because it changes your heart towards them when you pray for them. I know I've shared it before. It does start off rough. I'm just speaking from personal experience, being the godly man of prayer that I am. Um, you know, it starts off just kind of rough. You know, God just, um, yeah, go ahead and bless them. No hurry, just, you know, bless them and feed them. And, but then all of a sudden you have an investment now in that person's life, and you'll be the better for it. Because how do you know that God won't bless them, and that'll be the catalyst for restoring that relationship with them? See, God's got to do a work in them first, before that relationship that you have with them can be restored. Well, it's this third one that I wanted to leave more time for. Uh, in verse 3. And it's, I probably should have worded it better, but uh, have grace, mercy, and peace. And, and actually, the reason I say I should have worded it better is because you already do. I'll explain. So the way John, by the Holy Spirit, writes this is, this is already ours. And interesting to note that in the other epistles, it's usually the Siamese twins, as they're affectionately referred to, as grace and peace. And it's always in that order. It's always the grace, grace and peace, never peace and grace. Why? Because once you've had and been the recipient of the grace of God, you'll be at peace with God. That's the Siamese twins, grace and peace. But leave it to John. I love this. He inserts mercy. Oh, I was still working through grace and peace. Mercy? And then not just mercy, but he packages it with truth and love. So now watch this. Grace, mercy, peace, truth, and love. <laughs> okay, let's close in prayer. Self-explanatory, right? Wait a minute. Grace, mercy, peace, truth, and peace, easy for me to say, truth and love. That's when you know the sermon's over and you should stop. I, and I already have them? Yeah. They've already been given to me? Yeah. This is not conditional. It's not tentative. The jury is not out. The verdict's saying you already have grace, mercy, peace, truth, love. I do? Yeah. Where did it come from? Who do you think? I'm still snarky. I know. We're almost done, though. I, I, from God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. No, stay with me. I, the grace came from them to me. Mercy came from them to me. Peace came from them to me. Truth came from them to me. And last but certainly not least, love came from them to me. I already have them. Now, why do I withhold them? Um, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's the Lord teaching us how to pray when the disciples ask, teach us how to pray. Uh, forgive us of our trespasses as we have been forgiven. I again botched it. You know it. Just don't say it out loud. Just you know it. Th does that mean that I'm going to be able to forgive others with the forgiveness that I've already been the recipient of from God? Yes. 
does that apply to everything else? Yeah. Grace? Yeah. So I've been the recipient of God's grace. I'm not going to be gracious to others. I've been the recipient of God's mercy. I'm not going to be merciful to others. I've been the recipient of God's peace. I'm not going to make peace with others. And you can just go on down the list, every single one of them. It's reciprocal. So what's your point? Well, my point is uh, specifically mercy. What if I told you that single-handedly mercy can change your situation instantly. Would you believe me? Mercy. What's mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. God was merciful because He's merciful to you because you don't deserve this. (laughs) I'll take both grace and mercy. Thank you very much. So can we just uh, focus in on this word mercy? I'll bring it in for an end, a close. Deal? (laughs) If we can focus on mercy, I'll I'll bring it to a close. You're like, whatever, just close. Mercy's fine. (laughs) Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. I mean, we love this. We quote this. We memorize this. We sing this. I want to draw your attention to verse 6, Psalm 23, and here's why. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. You'll forgive my uh, imagination here, but this is how I, uh, this is how I understand God's Word the Word of God and the God of the Word. Okay. So I'm told here, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, by the Holy Spirit says, goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. So you're walking and goodness and mercy are falling everywhere you go. They're still there. So you come up to somebody, they go, who's that following you? Oh, that's, that's goodness and mercy. They follow me everywhere I go. Really? Yeah, I can't get rid of them. I've tried. They're following me. They're right behind me. They're always following me every day, all day, every night, all day, all my life. Goodness and mercy is following me. I don't mind. I'm not complaining because I need them to follow me. Because every once in a while I need to turn around and go, hey, mercy, thank you for following me and being here because I need you right now. Because I need to show mercy as I've been shown mercy, and goodness as I've been shown goodness. I need to show mercy because it's reciprocal. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel. It's recorded, chapter 6, verses 36 through 38. And I will close with this. So are we okay? All right. First two words, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Um, Like Father, like Son. Uh, It's it's not like, you know, be merciful because I'm merciful. No, It's, it's be merciful because I'm the source of you being merciful as your Father. Did you make that connection? I'm going to forgive you because I've been forgiven of so much. The one who's been forgiven of much loves much. All God has to do is remind me of how much mercy He's shown me, how much He's, how much forgiveness. <laughs> and this is particularly true in the marriage relationship. You know, I won't look at anybody. When you hold a grudge, you know, unless you have a perfect marriage like mine, you hold a grudge, right? And uh, you know, you withhold, you know, forgiveness, and then God just has to email you with a very large attachment. It's a PDF file. Um, single space. The font is like eight, and it's 89 pages. That's just the beginning. And it's a list of all the things He's forgiven you of, all the things that He's been merciful to you with and in, and you're not going to reciprocate it. 
You remember that uh, parable that Jesus taught? It's probably one of the most, I mean, wow parables. It's like, I'm going to very loosely paraphrase it. You'll, you'll know it. There's this guy who owes this guy that lended him a lot of money, like we're going to say a hundred million dollars. And the guy is just merciful and says, you know what? I forgive you of your debt. You don't have to pay me back because he didn't ready to throw him in prison. This is before bankruptcy laws, that debtor's prison. You were thrown in prison if you couldn't pay. And so he was about ready to throw him in. He pleaded, oh, please forgive me. Be merciful to me. Have mercy on me. He said, okay, I forgive you. I don't, I don't have to pay it. No, I forgive you your debt. You don't have to pay anything back. I, but I owed you $100 million. Yeah, I forgive you. You're forgiven. I'm going to show you mercy. So what does the guy do? He goes out and finds a guy that owes him 100 bucks. No, for real. That's the contrast. It's that dramatic. There's that much of a disparity. And he beats this guy up to get the money, the $100 that he owed him, right on the heels of having been forgiven $100 million. So the guy that forgave him the $100 million hears about it. Sees it on his newsfeed. Somebody posted it. Are you kidding me right now? I forgave you $100 million and you won't forgive this guy $100? (laughs) It did not end well for him. You can read the rest of the story in the Gospels. But the point is, is that you've been the recipient of such mercy and forgiveness and grace, and now you're not reciprocating with mercy and forgiveness and grace. Early on in my marriage, my wife's not here, so I can, I can say this. I, I would just like, you know, I was so pious and I was right. And, you know, submit to me, woman. And, you know, and she's just like, wow, really? I married you? <laughs> she didn't say that, I don't think. But um, so here, and she was wrong, and I was right, and I knew it, and she knew it. And she needed to apologize to me. But she didn't. So I just kind of withheld. I wouldn't forgive her. She didn't even ask for forgiveness, but she knew she was wrong. But I wasn't going to forgive her anyway. And so that's when I got the email from God with the very large attachment wait a minute, you're not going to forgive her? You know, the dot matrix printer back in the day would have taken days to print out just the first 89 pages of this thing. No, be merciful because you've been the recipient of the Father being merciful to you. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. See the reciprocal dynamic here? Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure, here's the point, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Ooh. Ooh. Now you've probably heard this passage taught by televangelists in the context of money. There's somebody out there that has, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shake it. I do that too good, don't I? It's not talking about money. It's talking about mercy. Mercy. In other words, you give mercy, you're merciful, and God will be merciful to you. In the measure that you are merciful, God will use that same measure in His mercy to you. That's why I say, ooh, because I'm stingy when it comes to mercy. And so God says, oh, that's your gauge. That's the measure. You're going to be stingy with mercy. Give me that measuring tape, that little one inch of mercy, because I need to use it when I measure my mercy to you. Oh, well, if that's the case, I'm going to bring out the, you know, those uh, roller measuring things that roll you know, <laughs> that's what he's saying. The measure you use. Forgiveness. The measure you use, the gauge that you use, the metrics that you use to measure out the forgiveness will be the same forgiveness measure that God 
uses for you. And it works across the board. Again, everything. So here you are. You've got this relational problem. And I won't go into the details. But God knows your heart. And you know exactly what you're doing. And you keep doing it. And you're a bit of mercy and forgiveness away from changing that whole relationship and resolving that whole problem in every aspect of every relationship, whether it's the marriage relationship, the parenting relationship, the workplace relationship, the interpersonal relationship, you know, in the church, by the way. I know when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, you guys better stop. You're devouring one another, gossiping, murmuring, complaining, fighting, biting, scratching, kicking, screaming, all the above. You keep doing that. You're going to destroy each other. You better stop. You better start being merciful to each other. You better start forgiving one another. If you want God to heal and restore the damaged relationship and resolve the problems in your relationship, be merciful. Be merciful. And that the source of the mercy that you're going to be merciful with comes from the Father who is merciful to you. It's unending, inexhaustible. By the way, you never run out of it. And if you're running low, just look behind, because goodness and mercy are still following all the days of your life. Right there. Who's that? Oh, it's goodness and mercy. They follow me everywhere I go. <laughs> you see them? They're right there. Oh, maybe you can't through the pulpit. Hi, you guys. Thank you so much for being there. With that, Capono, come up, stand up. I tried to. That was my final closing. Father, thank you. This It is practical, but in some ways it's just such a firm grasp of the obvious that we, we just don't really quite grasp it. In some ways it's maybe because in our flesh we've complicated that which is so simple. We don't impart that which we possess, and we possess it because you gave it to us to possess. We don't avail ourselves of it. I mean, here we have it at our disposal, unfettered access to that which you've given us, everything we need to resolve the problems in the relationship, and we don't do it. Oh, please, Lord, forgive us. Please, Lord. And Lord, lastly, we want to be merciful people, just merciful people, forgiving people, loving people, gracious people. Please, Lord. You're the source of that. The Holy Spirit enables us to do that, empowers us with the how to do the what of what we just studied here in your word. So please, Lord, would you do it by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.